Hanan, and I'll be reading from Exodus 34, verse 27 to 35. Uh, in the Church Bible, it's page 78. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The Radiant Face of Moses When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And then, and when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put back the veil. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. All right, and the, uh, the New Testament reading this morning is from 2, 2 Corinthians, starting at chapter 3, verse 7. Um, that's found on page 994 of the Church Bibles. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought, brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, it's it's so lovely singing beautiful songs together and spending the weekend in one another's company and um, getting into God's Word together and just sharing the weekend together. It has been so long since I've been at a church camp. Um, Katie and I were trying to remember when the last one was for us because uh, our previous church didn't do church camps and we were at that church for like eight years and so it was sort of counting back and trying to go, man, we miss them. Like it's really great to get away um, together. When's the last time Summerlees did one? Was it 29, no, 2018? 2020. You did manage to sneak one in. Wow, you lucky duckies. Um, uh let me. Uh, I know that often when I um, when I do a kids talk, it's it's a less substantial sermon following it. That because we're on camp, we're doing a bit more of a chunky thing. But you got all afternoon to decompress, right? So look forward um, to that. Uh, let me begin here. John Piper once said this. He said, "The whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this: feel, think, and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is." Be a telescope for the world to the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. So welcome to Church Camp 2023 and to our theme, Magnify, Worshipping Our Great God in Gospel Community. Um, Can I start with an image from Revelation that I think is both familiar and foreign? It's familiar because we've heard it a hundred times before, these verses that I'm about to take you to. Um, You might like to start turning there already, Um, Revelation chapter 21. um, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, It's familiar, we've heard these verses a hundred times before, but it's foreign because they still seem otherworldly, just perhaps beyond reality, Uh, They have an air of the unreal about them, so stark is the contrast with our actual uh, lived experience. Like, is this really a picture of us and of our world and our magnificent, radiant God as we will one day see him? Uh, Revelation 21 from verse 9. Let's read from verse 9 and then I'll I'll skip down a little bit further. Uh, So we read from verse 9 of Revelation 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come! I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Come down with me to verse 22. 
I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So friends, we, start, we stand now at the start of a new year, and uh, I'm asking us to devote some time and thought and prayer and reflection to this question. Is there anything more glorious in our eyes, uh, more wonderful to our imaginations, Uh, more magnified or magnificent, you might say. Anything that we would sooner live for and chase after and drive towards and devote our energies to bringing about than this. According to God's word, the future of our world and the future for us personally and the future of our God and his radiant splendor Uh, so splendorously bright that our whole world will be lit up by him to the glory of our God is here. Um, It's hard to know, isn't it, in these Revelation passages, just how much is metaphor, like, and how much uh, is reality. Uh, Perhaps it's somewhat literal, who knows? The glory of God will light up our very world one day. One day, perhaps one day not so long from now, you and I will walk together in a world with no need of lights, no sun to see by, uh, won't even need the moon at night time, although night, anyway, you know what I mean, for God himself will be amongst us and he will beam. What an image that we have there in Revelation 21. And our darknesses, that we carry and live through will be scurried away by the glow of his glory and the coldness that we experience from time to time, which is a bit hard to imagine this particular weekend, but anyway, you know what I mean. We live in Tasmania, don't we? Give Give it a few hours. The coldness that we experience will be thawed by the warmth and the heat of his wonderful love. One day, perhaps one day quite soon, And uh, if I may just point out one more feature to this vision, namely this, verse 24, the nations, we're told, will walk uh, by its light, by the light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought uh, into it. I think it's saying a day is coming when all of the most beautiful even as we experience them now, the most alluring and distracting, uh, the things of our world, they will no longer compete for our hearts or hold captive uh, our eyes and distract our attention. They will take their place in his presence, all of the most spectacular and wonderful things, take, his, take their place in his presence and serve only to amplify and magnify his glory further. Uh, the one in whose presence we will bask. Um, So Jesus has revealed to us a vision of the whole world, whole and happily his and gloriously good and coming soon. Verse 20 of the next chapter says, yes, says the Lord Jesus, I am coming soon. So welcome to the theme of our church camp this year, Magnify. 
Um, and do I need to just say this up front? As I said to the kids, it, it's not as if our God needs magnifying as by a microscope, right? Uh, or magnifying uh, a magnifying glass, transforming tiny little curiosities of our world into these towering realities that we see for a moment. Um, and sure, I know that there are some many folks in our world who make God out to be an irrelevance, a tiny thing in their lives. I understand that. And by their logic, sure, we perhaps do make a mountain out of a molehill. But I trust that we've come to see that only that God merely appears small uh, as the sun appears small to us, as the stars seem tiny. His glory is perhaps, at least for now, like that of the moon or like the rings of Saturn, which so capture our wonder when we get a little bit of a close-up of them, but which are grand and are vast, unimaginably vast on a scale that's stupendously grand, but it's only as its secrets and wonders are brought into focus, gradually rise to their true scale that our puniness, our little plans and intentions and the things that we get all fussed about, uh, that they begin to take their proper place. How did Piper put it? Feel, think and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is, be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. Could we pray together? Uh, long introduction, I know, but uh, and then let's turn our attention uh, in this first sermon to the one who is worthy of our worship. Please pray with me. Our Father God in heaven, we begin a new year together. Most of us are getting back into the rhythms of things now. Uh, and now we begin a camp together. Uh, for some of us, we're also beginning new ministry teams together or even entirely new ministries. Um, right now, we're in the midst of rebooting our GCs. We're gathering in gospel community and striving to get the tone and the character and the warmth of all of that right. And Father, very often we approach all of that with a task in mind, good task though it may be, to make disciples of Jesus through gospel communities. And God, some of us, we have fears for the year ahead, not least financial worries in the present climate, or perhaps friendship concerns. Some of us start the year full of goals and with great things in store. Lord God, would you please grant that we spend this time together really well. May it serve not just to assign us a great task and hone us and enthuse us for that, but may this time serve to magnify you to us in the sense that we gaze through the telescope of the Scriptures together to marvel at your glory and your goodness to us. Perhaps even in some detail or with a degree of focus that we've forgotten about or we've never quite seen the beauty of before. We ask, please, that our estimate of you would more closely match the reality. And having experienced that, would you please then reshape our hopes and our fears and the tasks that we hope to achieve in your strength, all so that our feeling, thinking and acting together may serve to magnify the infinite starry wealth of your glory to one another and to our world. In Jesus' name we ask it, please. Amen. Um, so our, our big idea is really quite simple. Let me uh, leave it on screen for 
a minute or two to get, give you a chance to take it down. There's space in your booklets and hopefully you've got a pen there um, or a pencil or whatever to be able to take it down on the notes page. I actually can't remember what page it is in your notes booklet, but it's talk one uh, and the title is worthy of our worship. So you're on the right page if you found talk one and that is the big idea for us. Uh, we meet the one worthy of our worship in the gospel of his glory. And this weekend, what we've got is two talks planned, one each morning. Um, this morning, we focus our gaze on God's worthiness to receive our worship. So let's magnify his glory in our eyes, firstly. And tomorrow, we expand that to explore our worship in the context of the world. Uh, the task, if you will, to magnify him in our lives, to serve as that telescope uh, from that John Piper quote. But I'd like to begin with this thought that our estimate of just how good God's glory actually is has implications for our willingness, can I put it this way, to wear his glory, to clothe ourselves with a glory like his glory. Um, Have a listen to this. It comes from Robert Cialdini, um, who's an American author uh, who specialises in the psychology of what actually motivates us to change. And... uh, and uh, accept guidance and be captured by a vision and listen to people's advice. Um, He writes this in his book, Influence, which is a good book, even though it's a bit dated now. Uh, He writes this, he says, In one experiment, researchers counted the number of school sweatshirts worn on Monday mornings by students on the campuses of seven seven prominent football universities, all right? So we're talking about what were the clothes that they wore on Monday morning? And here were the universities, just for your interest, Arizona State, Louisiana State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Pittsburgh, and Southern California. The results results showed that many more homeschool shirts were worn... How do you reckon this sentence is going to end? If the football team had won its game on the prior Saturday, what's more, the larger the margin of victory, the more such shirts appeared. It wasn't a close, hard-fought game that caused the students to dress themselves literally in success. Instead, it was a clear, crushing conquest smacking of indisputable superiority. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, Moving beyond AFL scarves and and beanies at church on Sundays and what you ought to be wearing on Sunday mornings uh, during footy season, a clear and crushing conquest smacking of indisputable superiority. Uh, Will the indisputable superiority of the glory of Jesus in the gospel be the sweatshirt that we adorn our lives with? come Monday morning, each Monday morning of our lives. That's the kind of direction that I'd like us to be thinking in uh, this morning. I have three points as we attempt to chart the glory of Jesus, the one worthy of our worship. It's going to be quite a fast-paced, Bible overview kind of a sermon, so a little bit different to what we're used to, where we'd normally just uh, bed ourselves into one passage and dig deep there. Our first point is personal presence. Personal presence. Uh, That is, God displays his glory most fully, most importantly, and savingly, even though that's not a word, uh, not in the beautiful and the big and the breathtaking wonder of our world that we so get to enjoy even this weekend, but right from the beginning, if you want to know God and behold his glory, 
You need to know his personal presence. Uh, we'll turn in a moment to Exodus 33 and 34, and you might like to start turning there already um, in your Bibles, Exodus 33 and 34. Um, but as we do, the, the Bible makes crystal clear that everything that we find breathtakingly beautiful in this world, it should, like it really should fuel our gratitude and praise to the glory of God as our creator and the creator of every good thing. Um, I'm not sure what those things are for you that most stir you, that most captivate and intrigue and kind of stop you in your tracks uh, in, in terms of their beauty. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen the, the dance of the Aurora Australis across the southern sky um, on a clear night when it happens to be on show or the magic playfulness of uh, bioluminescence in the ocean at night. Um, some of these things that just seem otherworldly. It's like God is showing off when he made those things. Um, it could be the arresting beauty of another person in your life. It might be the vast, silent um, overwhelm of a, a sunset, you know, when they, or a sunrise for that matter, when they reach right up into the sky and your entire visual, the, the whole vista is awash with colour. Um, Psalm 19, you know those words, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And 1 Timothy 4 Reminds us, for everything God created is good, nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. James chapter 1, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And yet, as humans, we consistently, don't we, and even universally, says Romans 1, neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but there, as in humankind, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. We, verse 23, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Um, Christian, glorious as our world may be, God has not even been content, even from the Garden of Eden, to leave us with a magnificent but only distant experience of his glory. Our God means to be near to us, so very close amongst his people. And so I'm sure you've got it by now, Exodus 33. Um, uh, let's, let's go from, rather than chapter 34, from ver verse 33, so before, sorry, chapter 33, so from before the radiant face bit that um, uh, Izzy read to us a few moments ago, uh, from Exodus 33, we'll pick it up from verse 7. Verse 7. Now Moses, of chapter 33, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Come down to verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know 
whom you will send with me? You've said, I know you by name and you've found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And so there's this evident friction there, isn't there? God desires, he desires to be known by Moses. Moses desires to know him. God wants to be present with his people and for them and display his glory. But at that point in the history of God's people, 1500 BC or thereabouts, there is just no way that that is going to end well for them, a full display of God's glory. Uh, No one may see me and live. And yet what's going to distinguish me and your people in the world? And please just notice this point. The historic people of God were, always have been, markedly different from the world around them. Not merely because they properly, actually, rightly acknowledge their creator uh, with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving for beautiful sunrises and the lovely tastes of their food and the harmonious sounds of their music. We know the Hebrew people were always a musical people. We see that within our scriptures. Nor were they markedly different from the world around them merely by their ability to create beauty as little mini-creators after the likeness of their God, Um, artists and musicians, um, homemakers for that matter, or even curators of community. Um, I think we're often drawn to that kind of glory Uh, And to make those some of our defining features, especially as a church, I think it's a common thing for a church to make that the thing that we're kind of famous for and to be curators of community, to do that especially well. But Israel weren't to be known among the nations as the ones who put on the most pumping festivals, although they probably did. Not known for that. Far more extraordinary, my presence will go with you. It's God in their midst. There lies the radiance of Moses' face, that he knows the God with whom he walks and who walks and talks with him as one speaks to a friend. The God who has saved them already, the God who will do so again, the God who has committed himself to shaping them and the God who will soon give them rest and take up permanent residence among them. My presence will go with you. But secondly, his personal presence, as it unfolds through the pages of Scripture, it turns out to have a very distinctive shape. And so our second point is grisly glory. Grisly, in this case, kids, by the way, meaning ugly. 
And it's hinted at back there with Moses. In fact, uh, throughout the ministry of Moses there with sacrifices and uh, and even there with the promise of compassion and mercy. Where's that going to come from? Um, but I'd like to take us all the way forward, if I may, to an exchange among Jesus' disciples on the last day that he walked among them in his earthly ministry um, present and speaking to them as one does with a friend in John chapter 14. Could we come to John chapter 14 together, please? And uh, at verse 6 of John 14. On the theme of grisly glory. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. Who is doing his work? Um, Why does that matter so much? That if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. Just jump forward to John 17, right? Just probably over the page in your Bible. And I'll show you why it matters. It matters because Jesus is about to approach his cross, the grisly, ugly, inglorious, deeply shameful in that culture, as well as excruciatingly painful, spectacular failure of death at the hands of his enemies in the, tri- in the apparent triumph of evil. And yet Jesus looks upon that looming moment, ugly as it is, in these terms, John 17 and verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Um, I think most of you were there a couple of weeks ago on Sunday. I shared with you that um, embarrassing little moment of resentment. Do you remember the story um, through no fault of my own? My Monday evening got chewed up uh, those few weeks ago. Um, Not even particularly badly. I just want to underscore. It was just an inconvenience. That's all it was. And I felt within myself not just disappointment, um, which would have been fine in itself, but frustration and entitlement and resentment, all very mild, but not great on a day when I had literally been studying the words of Jesus, love your enemies. (laughs) Do you realise, O child of Jesus, in, in light of John 17, that Christ does not resent the fact that he had to bear the judgment of God in his crucifixion for you. 
No, he counts it his glory. He desires to be known, not as the God of that spectacularly creative bunch, always full of thanks to their God throughout history, ever smiling and lovely. Look at my people down the ages. Though he does call us to all of those things, he desires that you would, that we would be near him, that you would know him. And instead of looking at you like, as in looking at you forever, like you should have done better and you should have been better and he's always going to hold it over you. He counts it as his glory that he might save you. That was the glorious hour of his earthly life. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you and with eternal glory to follow. Or as Hebrews 1 puts it, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of of his being. It's who God is. And that means, Christian, that that out of all the world and its people, that you, you have seen the face of God face to face, as with a friend, in the gospel, Jesus for you. You know God's strange character, and it is strange. It is a grisly glory But in Jesus, God is no unknowable mystery. Who even knows if he sees us or cares about us or as some of our friends might ponder from time to time. The radiance of God's glory shines from the darkest moment of history into the darkest moments of your life. And it shines on you and it shines for you because he loves you. So thirdly and finally, revealing radiance revealing radiance. Uh, I I appreciate it's been a long morning already and this last point is really just a primer for our second talk uh, tomorrow anyway and the thought is very simple. In Jesus we gaze deeply into the character of who our God is, into how much he loves us, into the kind of God that he is towards us and towards our world. That is Christ magnifies God to us. He is the telescope in which we see all of his all of God's shade and character and and colour in all of its richness. But as his children, he does call us, kind of like Moses, to radiate, to magnify our God in all his glory to the world, in both its vastness, the world in its vastness, but also in its darkness. Um, We've already read the key text for that, but let's turn there very briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would please. Uh, So please turn to 2 Corinthians 3. Um, But uh, while you're looking for that, this, this theme of radiating the goodness of God to the world, when you're listening for it, it's kind of all over the place. So do you remember, for instance, that prickly little passage in Ephesians 5 that sometimes we don't like to talk about, it, the one that starts with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to their husbands, and then we kind of go, ooh, okay, hang on, we need to unpack that and talk about that. Just, you just read on a few more verses to the instruction to husbands in Ephesians 5, and you read this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So remember, it's describing Christ's love for his church. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her, as in the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Will we, 
in the hands of God radiate with the glory of God this year. Even his grisly glory. Will we magnify him among our classmates at school? Will we magnify him and make him appear as lovely and as large as he truly is? Will we do that in our kids' ministries? I actually think it's really hard to do in kids' ministries um, to somehow find ways to convey to the kids not just the lesson, because that's important, and that is hard enough to do in context with all the distractions and, hey, let me tell you about why my thumb is blue at the moment. Hey, let me tell you. It's, oh, my goodness. Like, it's just, I admire you guys. I really do. But it is hard, isn't it, to convey not just the lesson, but the Lord himself and how glorious he is in our eyes, even to kids. Will we magnify him in our family devotions? Have you got those dialed in yet for the new year? Will we magnify and radiate with the gospel of Christ crucified in our gospel communities, plural, uh, as well as uh, the, the, you know, our one big gospel community on Sundays, and even beyond church altogether, known for him and desire for Jesus to become known, uh, seek for our friends to find him face to face as with a friend. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And jump down to chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, it's talking about creation, let light shine out of darkness, For God who said that made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Um, I began with a kind of silly story and I wonder if I could close with the last bit of it actually. So this is Robert Cialdini again. Um, You remember the footy jumpers on Monday morning uh, basking in the glory of what they saw as an indisputable superiority, a crushing conquest uh, uh, that their teams had won for them. Uh, We might say their heroes, their champions, the ones that they wanted to be known for. Cialdini says, this tendency, this tendency to try to bask in reflected glory by publicly trumpeting our connection to successful others has its mirror image in our attempt to avoid being darkened by the show of others' defeat. In an amazing display during the luckless 1980 season, season ticket-holding fans of the New Orleans Saints football team began to appear at the stadium wearing paper bags to conceal their faces. As their team suffered loss after loss, more and more fans donned the bags until TV cameras were regularly able to record the extraordinary image of gathered masses of people shrouded in brown paper with nothing to identify them but the tips of their noses. They've cut holes for their noses. Why would you do I don't even know. He says, I find it instructive that during a late season contest when it was clear that the Saints were at last going to win one, the fans discarded their bags and went public once more. How about we pray? 
Now, Father God in heaven, it has been your glory to become known in our world, yes, as the inimitable creator of beauty and intricacy and breathtaking wonders, but God, your greatest masterpiece is the radiant beauty that came only through the cross of Jesus, a salvation that you are pleased to be known for. You don't try to hide it away. You have advertised to the watching world mercy and forgiveness and love that took a very grisly turn for us. Lord God, we desire to radiate, to glow with that love of Jesus and so magnify the God whose magnificence we've seen face to face and personally benefited from. Like Moses, may we go out with a radiance about us, but unlike Moses, may it never fade, may it only grow and grow. Father, shape our year, shape our camp even now, please. Shape our ministry and how we go about it. Shape our mission. Shape our community life together after the shape of Christ. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.